G'day. Oh, this congregation's on it. I said g'day in the last congregation, and they went... And I went, it wasn't rhetorical, and then I got some g'days, so that was good. Um, my name is Jeff. I, uh, I know plenty of familiar faces here, some unfamiliar faces. Uh, hi, uh, if I'm unfamiliar to you, just a quick recap of my connection with Forest Lake Baptist Church. Uh, well over 10 years ago, this little church took a punt on me as a youth pastor for two days a week, and um, since uh, that time I became the associate pastor, and then uh, full-time, and then they've since got sick of me and sent me away to plant a new church. Um, so involved in a new church called Hope Tree uh, now and really enjoying and loving that. A prayer point regarding Hope Tree, we have our Easter Sunday gathering coming up uh, on Easter Sunday. Um, I'd love it if you would pray that some of the people we've been meeting in the community would be able to come along to that and hear the message about Jesus. Um, so the invites out there, all our core team are out there with invites to, the, uh, to come along. And so we'd, we'd really love for that to be a special moment for our community and with people that uh, maybe find themselves in an Easter Sunday service for the first time uh, ever, or even first time in a long time. So please pray that. Um, I'm going to pray now that the Lord will help us. Some of you might uh, have noticed that we've gotten to this point in the service for the Sunday sermon, and we haven't dealt with these yet. Um, oh no, what are we going to do? <laughs> we've broken order of things. Um, as we'll find out, Jesus is all good with breaking the order of things. No. Um, one of the things we're going to be looking at is the Lord's Supper in our sermon, and so we're going to do it after the sermon today, so that's why we haven't dealt with these yet, but we'll, we'll get there, and it will be special, hopefully, uh, when we do. So let's pray that the Lord will speak, and then we'll get into the Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and acknowledge you for being the Lord of all. We don't say that flippantly at all. You are the Lord of all things, the boss of all things, the creator of all things. The Scriptures say that from you, to you, and through you are all things. And so we come to you humbly in that category of all things, knowing that we were made by you. But Lord, we thank you that you've patterned us in, our image, in your image, and so we can uh, relate like you relate. We can emote like you emote. You put something of yourself in us as humans when you made us that mean that we can have relationship with you, and we thank you for that. We understand we can only have that relationship with you because of the work of Jesus on the cross and what he did. So we thank you for your son, Jesus. And now, Lord, because we're humbly in your presence, because of what Jesus did, we we're asking something. We're asking that as we open your word this morning that you might speak to us, that you might shape us, you might change us, that we might get from it what you want to get from it. Lord, by your spirit, would you speak not just to our minds, but to our hearts and into our lives and into our actions. All this we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Um, in Australia, um, we like to think we're great at celebrating things. Um, I think the advertisers have come on to a, that a little bit. I don't know if you've seen an advertisement getting around on radio and on TV, which goes something on the lines of a, some of the parents are sitting there and their daughter or child runs up to them and says, Hey, Dad, I dug a hole. And the, the dad there's like, Well, that's a reason to celebrate. And then he goes and gets pizza or something because that's the way that that family celebrates. That's Australia's best when it comes to, hey, we, no, we do celebrate a little bit better that with birthdays and things like that as well, but we got nothing compared to the Jewish culture. And Jewish culture has like a calendar of celebrations that goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. These people were told to do something by God and have kept doing it for thousands and thousands of years. The same celebrations for thousands of years. I find it astounding and amazing to look into some of that. We're going to in a moment. 
we're going to have a look at this one called Passover, the unleavened bread feast. And the reason we'll look at it will become evident as we start reading the passage, uh, which we're going to do now. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 19, first up. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, the teacher says my time is near and I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When I first read that, I thought, well, that's a bit rude, Jesus. You can't just invite yourself over someone's place. I, I've done that in the past. It wasn't great, but I became an expert on it as a child. My, I had some good family friends who um, eventually got bold enough to say, Jeff, I think it's time you went home now. And, oh, okay. Spent a lot of time at their place. I don't think Jesus is doing that here, though. I think this is more planned. I think this is more specific. The commentators kind of flip between it being a miraculous kind of plan where Jesus just had foreknowledge about who would be where at what spot and also a planned one where it could have been someone who was known to Jesus. In other Gospels, this same event, we learn that there's a guy who's going to be carrying a water jar and they went to go to that person and then tell them, hey, we're eating it, eating it at your place. It's on. Let's do it. Get set up. So Peter and John are the two disciples. Again, that's from one of the other Gospels. Peter and John are the two disciples. They go and they set up the Passover. They find the guy exactly as it is, and they start preparing this meal, the Passover meal. You'll notice at the top it was called unleavened bread. Unleavened bread might be the name that the, the uh, Israelites give to the whole festival, the festival of unleavened bread, which goes for multiple days, and Passover is a particular meal on a particular day in this. And so we've got this Passover meal about to be celebrated question is, well, what is Passover meal? What's it about? I remember the events of Exodus 17. You might not. Exodus 17 is where the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. Sunday school kids might remember it as uh, the Moses going and saying, let my, God says, let my people go. And then there's a plague and Pharaoh says, oh, okay, no. And there's another plague, oh, okay, no. And it gets to the end where there's all these plagues and Pharaoh still hasn't let his people go. And there's this tension developed, like who's going to rescue the people? of God. And the anthem that rings out of that story is God will rescue. God will do it. And it gets to the point where it got so bad in Egypt that Pharaoh said, okay, these Hebrew people are multiplying, they're becoming a problem. So my solution to that problem is I'm going to murder every firstborn male. That'll slow them down. I'm going to enslave them, treat them harshly, treat them hard. And so the people of Israel were in dire straits there. But the pinnacle of the, the plagues, it got to the point where it was so serious and Pharaoh was still having a hard heart that it got to the point where God says, all right, well, I'm going to kill every firstborn in Egypt. But he told the Israelites, I don't want your firstborn males to die, so I want you to follow these directions very carefully. Get a lamb, kill the lamb, get the blood of the lamb, and I want you to put it on the doorpost so that when this judgment sweeps across Egypt, you will be spared, you will be redeemed, you will be saved from the judgment. So the Israelites had that actually happen and they were told, God is going to rescue you and God rescued them mightily. They were freed from Egypt and they were out on their way to the promised land. God is redeemer, God is rescuer, God goes into bat for his people is the anthem of the Passover. They're told to remember it again and again and again and again. And guess what? The Jewish people remembered it again and again and again and again. And if you found yourself in any Jewish communities, 
around this time, you'll see that it's starting to build because Easter's coming up and they're going to celebrate a Passover seated together, a meal. They're still celebrating it, even now, because God told them to celebrate it. God goes into bat for his people. Now, it's a little bit difficult to work out exactly what the meal would have looked like for Jesus. And the reason for that is, over thousands of years, the core of the meal, yes, it has stayed the same, but there's different little bits and pieces that get added and different ways to do the cedar meal. And so it, it, it's hard to kind of get a read on exactly what would have been there. There was a person called Gamaliel, who was a Jewish rabbi, who lived just after the time of Jesus. A guy called Paul the Apostle, you may have heard of him. He was trained by this guy, Gamaliel. Gamaliel wrote down for us, if you're going to do Passover as a Jew, these are the elements you need to have. He wrote down three main things. It's worthwhile for us to just get a feel for what might have been happening and what might have been in the disciples' expectations when they're about to do this Passover meal. Like, what have Peter and John gone and prepared? What's, what's on the table? What's it going to be like? One of the things is unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is like the wraps we would get at the shops. It's bread with no yeast. It doesn't rise. The reason for that is because the disciples back in the Passover time were told, hey, this is all going to go down quite quickly. You've got no time to let your bread rise. You've got to eat it now while it's flat. I think it's called matzpah in, in Hebrew. You've got to eat your matzpah now. Well, it's flatbread now. We've got, we got to go. Gradually, yeast or um, leaven has come in the Bible to also mean like um, that which you need to get out. It's going to affect the whole bunch. One of the things that the Jews still do at um, Passover time on the lead up to Passover is they have a big treasure hunt in their house. And they're not looking for treasure, they're looking for leaven. They've got to get rid of it all. All leaven must be gone from your presence. That's the rules that God kind of set for the household at, on the lead up. No leaven allowed. It's got to be all gone. It's kind of like a reverse treasure hunt. You find it, you get rid of it. You don't find it and go, yeah, you have a treasure. You find it, you go. I had a little bit of a reverse treasure hunt <laughs> during the week, unfortunately. I was um, on the way back from Sydney and I heard a little as I was driving. I thought something just popped off my car and I expected the car to start to shake and it didn't shake, kept going. I thought, okay, oh, whatever. Thank you, Lord. Uh, got home the next day. What's this? Something smells bad in here. Something, ugh, something's a bit stinky. And I went looking for it. I looked in the grill at the front of the car and I looked around like, I can't find it. Like, whatever is here that's stinking, I can't find it. It smelled like something had died. I'm like, Ugh. The next day, I had another crack at it. This time, I was able to follow my nose a bit better because it's getting even more stinky. The whole garage is starting to smell like, what has died in here? It's not just my footy boots anymore. This smell is beyond footy boots. And then I tracked with my nose through to the roof racks of my car, and in the little thing that screws onto the bottom of the roof racks, tucked into it was this very, very, very small bird. <laughs> Poor little birdie with a red beak. You're all like, oh, that's the reaction that this leaven kind of thing, get, get rid of the leaven, it's time to get rid of the leaven, that Paul kind of was drawing on when he said, a little leaven leavens the whole bunch, when he's talking about the community of God and how there was people in there stirring uh, division and deceit. He said, out, a little leaven leavens the whole bunch. So in the Passover meal, there's this, hey, no leaven. And so when they break bread, they're breaking little flat bread. It's not like a big full-on loaf that we might think now. Flat bread, unleavened bread. That's the first symbol that they had. Another symbol is the bitter herbs. 
The bitter herbs would have been like a, a pot or something to dip in, in the middle. In a moment, we're going to see Jesus talked about dipping into the pot with people. They would grab a piece of lettuce or something like that, and they'd soak it in this stuff that was just in your face. Just, whew. So they'd dip, 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 and put it in, and oh, the eyes would water. It would be deliberately bitter, designed to make people go, wee, how's that going? Grab the cup, quick. Because... It was meant to symbolize just how difficult it was for the Israelites in Israel. I mean, they, they were under a dictator, terrible ruler in Israel. Awful, awful. Pharaoh was determined to squash their entire race of people. Killing firstborn children. Remember Moses only just escaped from being in the basket and having one of Pharaoh's, uh, uh, people in Pharaoh's household take him up. The bitter herbs, they would sit there at Passover and dip it in. They would remember just where they were before their God rescued them. Then we've got the Passover lamb shank, the Passover lamb. That story had a lamb that died as a sacrifice so that blood could be put on the posts, so that Israel's children, the firstborn males, could be spared. They remember that uh, as, a, as a symbol uh, when it happens. Now, for the people in Israel that were celebrating it the way that God told them to, that would have been this huge pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple or to the tabernacle, wherever the tabernacle was, so that a priest could sacrifice the lamb in an orderly and properly way. So there would have been all these people come Passover time heading there to get their Passover lamb. And they would have part of that Passover lamb in their meal. They would eat it together. So those are main elements. Another element that became in Passover meals was four cups that would be done throughout the meal. They would have wine in the cups and they would drink it. And each one, they would read a psalm or recite something that reminded them about God's goodness and his faithfulness and the fact he had capacity and power to rescue. There would be a cup. And so I want you to put yourself in the situation of these uh, disciples. They weren't sitting down for the Lord's Supper. They didn't walk in here and get the little bit of bread and a little bit of wine. What they were walking into was a Passover meal, a Passover cedar. What their expectations were was a Passover meal, a Passover cedar. They would have gathered the bitter herbs and had them on the table and the lamb shank potentially and had it on the table and the cup and had it on the table. So that's the situation. We're going to keep reading now and we're going to see uh, what happens next. Verse 20. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one begins to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he'll betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he hadn't been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. So in the context of being ready for this highly symbolic, highly regimented, ordered meal, where the set of expectations, like Peter would have been sitting there, having prepared the meal and having done many, many parts of it, he would be ready for what comes next. And rather than Jesus leading them through the Passover meal, Jesus drops an absolute bomb on them. He doesn't look at Peter and say, oh, you've got something in your teeth, mate. Can we just That's not the bomb we're talking about. We're talking about him saying, one of the people at this table is going to betray me. I mean, what? Just when 
they were finally sitting down to something that was going to be familiar to them as, as Jews and ready to, ready to remember God's goodness and his rescue again. Jesus drops this in. What are you doing? This is certainly off script for a normal Passover meal at this point. And we understand that it's Judas who's the betrayer. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. It says in John 6 that Jesus knew before time that Judas was going to betray him. And yet there he is in the meal. We come to understand what kind of a character is is of Judas. Again, I think it's in John's gospel where the woman uh, who had the alabaster oil and poured it all over Jesus. Remember that story? And then that it says the disciples chastised this woman. What are you doing? You're wasting a day's wage worth of stuff. You don't, like, that's silly. Judas pipes up. We could have given that day's wage stuff to the poor. And then in brackets, it says in the Bible, he only said this, not because he wanted to give it to the poor, but because he was holding the money bags and he was stealing from it. That's, when we look at the, the Bible's description of Judas, this is the guy. He loves money more than anything. And he's there at this Passover meal, ready to celebrate God's goodness and Jesus drops this in. It's interesting to note the responses of the disciples, isn't it? Surely not I, Lord, seems to be the response of the disciples. Surely not I. And have you seen what Judas's response is? It's kind of similar, isn't it? In verse, I think it's 25 there. Is it 25? Surely not I, Rabbi, down the bottom. It's not surely not I, Lord, it's surely not I, Rabbi. Like as if for, for Judas, I'm happy to call you a teacher and you can teach me things, but when it comes to obeying you as Lord and as boss and acknowledging you as God, maybe not that far. And I have a big question. If Jesus knew who it was, why did he first ask the question, one of you will betray him? Why, did he, why didn't he just go, that's the guy right there, that guy with the yellow shirt, him? I think it's because... Jesus was setting the, all of the disciples up for something. He wanted them to be introspective and to look at themselves and say, you do realise you would have the capacity to deny me too. And of course, we realise that Peter's going to go on to deny Jesus. He's causing them to look in at their own hearts and realise that they too need a rescue. It's not just about remembering the rescue that was. Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's the rescue that you need. He's helping the disciples to sit and squirm in their own sinfulness, questioning, do I really love Jesus as Lord? Surely not I, Lord? Question mark. If we're honest, we sit at those places at times. There's moments and times in my day where I don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord very well at all with my actions. My heart wants to cry out the same as the disciples' heart. I want to call Jesus Lord. I want to say I want to follow him every, every day of the week, but the reality is... I need a rescue because I can't. I can't get it right all the time. I need somebody to go into bat. I need somebody to actually change up this game because if it's all on my merit and my ability to follow Jesus as Lord, then guess what? I don't make it and neither do you. We need rescuing. So I think if you have a look at the disciples and they're sitting here ready for this Passover meal and then Jesus sinks that one into it, not only are their socks blown off. Did they wear socks? They probably didn't wear socks. Not only are their sandals blown off, but they're sitting there now thinking, oh, is it me? Could I deny it? Would I? Hmm. 
Let's keep reading it and see what comes next. Verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples saying, take it and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup after giving thanks and he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It says in Luke's gospel that Jesus was eager for this Passover. I'm sure Jesus was eager for all the other Passovers he would have celebrated as a Jewish person. However, for this one, it seems Luke's gospel tells us he wanted to get there. He wanted to do something here. And so we should be sitting on the edge of our seats a little bit when we read about this particular Passover and Jesus' involvement in it going, well, what's going to go down here? He's already popped in this question. One of you is going to betray me. And now I think it gets to the point where he would go through the motions of what should be a fairly familiar seat of Passover meal. And so he gets the bread and he breaks it. And I imagine the disciples going, oh, finally, we're back to normal. And he says, eat it. Yep, still good. And then they eat some. And then he says, this is my body. What do you mean? Did we just eat? Did you put that in the bread, Jesus? What do you? You can understand the confusion. Like, how is that going down? And the cogs have got to turn here, right? Because it's not normal what's going down in this first Lord's Supper. Those words are crazy words to these disciples. What do you mean this is my body? Perhaps... They're arcing back to other stuff Jesus said about bringing the bread of life and some of these kinds of things. But I imagine in that moment where the expectations set towards being remembering the unleavened bread and how they escaped and didn't have time for the bread to rise. And at the moment, it's very, very, whoa. Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is like, this is my body. My body's going to be broken for you. What happens next? Does it get any better? Well, Jesus takes one of the cups. I imagine maybe the disciples are thinking, okay, we're going to do one of the things with the cups. We're going to recite a psalm and we're going to drink and we're going to talk about how Jesus is our, how God is our Redeemer. And he takes the cup and he drinks it, giving thanks, and he says to them, drink from it, all of you. And I can imagine they're all drinking it. And then he goes, oh, by the way, this is my blood. I'm like, oh, again. Maybe that's not their reaction at this point. Maybe they're being more pensive at this point. Maybe they're starting to get this penny drop. Hang on a minute. Jesus' body broken, blood poured out for a new covenant, a new promise. Perhaps they're starting to understand Jesus is doing something very significantly different with this Passover. The previous Passover was about the sacrifice of a lamb that symbolized just how good a rescuer God is for his people. And he's bringing it forward to another sacrifice and other blood that's going to be on the cross. That's going to be the sacrifice for people. See there what the blood is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins from the mouth of Jesus. Can you imagine him saying that word? Can you imagine Jesus saying for the forgiveness of sins? When they're sitting there in their muck when their heart's been stirred around about whether they're going to be the ones to deny Jesus, whether they're going to be the ones to abandon. Forgiveness of sins? Hang on a minute. This isn't just about their rescue. This is about my rescue, the disciples are starting to think. And when we're coming to the passage today, I hope we're starting to understand something of this 
thing that Jesus wants us to understand about the Lord's Supper is it's not an over there thing. It's not something that they do. It's not just something we remember that happened to somebody else in the past. No, this is actually about your rescue and Jesus' death for you. Jesus died on the cross. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out to seal a covenant, a promise that says this, if you will trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then they will not be your problem anymore. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. When we reject God and we don't follow his ways, the Bible says we're actually in big trouble. The reality is we all need a rescue. And the other reality is, the reality that communion is about, is that God is your rescue. If you will place your faith in him, there is a sweetness to this promise. Oh, it's sweet. Um, Marg Bartley passed away, as has been said. She died, and with her faith in play, she's with Jesus. <laughs> it's so very, very good to be able to, to know people who love Jesus and love Jesus and love Jesus on repeat and to sit with them and to hear their heart, to hear their heart, and then to also hear that the time has come and they've been called back to be with the Lord. And they're there, they're with Jesus. But the promise that was talked about here has come to fruition and fruit and she now will have life evermore with Jesus. Do you know how many communions she sat through? She was old. <laughs> there were thousands probably of communions that she sat through and she remembered her Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. She remembered that Jesus' body was broken for her. She remembered that the blood of Jesus is what covers her sins, that he was her Passover lamb. Time and time again, she came to church and it might have looked like not much was going on when we just do what we always do. We come to church and every fourth Sunday, there's a communion covered. Not for Mark. Precious, precious, precious Jesus to her. More and more precious as the years went on because more and more she remembers who Jesus is. Time and time again, that anthem of her soul, that anthem of the prayers that I heard her pray time after time sitting in missions committee with her. So, so good. Jesus reigns. Jesus is king. Jesus is the world's rescuer. But she also prayed like Jesus was her rescuer. That Jesus would save her from her sins. She wanted everybody to know. In her little um, pension that she had, she'd talk about the way that she would give it to this and that. Oh, what a faithful lady. She just wanted the world to know about Jesus. She jumped into this festival celebration thing that's been going on for thousands of years, right back when the Israelites were taking their first steps out of Egypt. And they were told, remember this moment, celebrate this moment. Uh, it was a big bodice draw to come right back to Marg over here, right forward to Marg and go, oh, that was precious. That's, that's the start of something great that Marg was going to jump in the floor of all the way over there. But it, it is, it's, it's the reality. But the same God that proved himself to be rescuer there and was remembered and remembered and remembered through Jesus and what he did at this particular Passover meal transformed Passover cedar meal into the Lord's Supper, his special supper where he is proven to be the ultimate rescue and the ultimate Passover lamb. We're going to celebrate um, 
the Lord's death. And we're hopefully going to do it until he comes. But right now, I just get you to get the, the bread out, and we're going to break it together, please. So I know it's small, and you'll need good dexterity to actually get it open. But I'll get you also to try to break the little bread bit. It's round and it's small. Do your best, please. I'll give you some time. I'm holding mine in two bits here. I want you to look at the bread that's broken. And I want you to remember that Jesus' body was actually broken for you. He did it for you. And you needed it. If there's one thing that's the anthem of this first Lord's Supper, the disciples squirming in their sin and the difficulty of the abandoning Jesus, said, will I, won't I? The squirminess of all that says, God is a rescuer and you need him to rescue you. So would you eat the bread together? I'm just going to pray short prayer and then we'll do the cup. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Lord, I don't know how many times I've prayed those words to you, but it's a lot. And I, I beg of you, Lord, don't make them be familiar to anyone in this room, Lord. When we say thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross, for having a broken body for us, Lord, make them not familiar, that we forget them. Help us to remember them with impact, Lord. We thank you that you didn't just give us some written down things to memorize on a sheet, but we thank you that you gave us a meal something to keep coming back to, something that we engage with, that we taste. Lord, as we eat this bread and we saw it broken in front of our eyes, I ask that you might make very real to us and memorable to us the remembrance of your death on the cross for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we have the cup? Um, some of you might have heard me mention this before, but there was a moment where I was in Israel um, you can start to open it if you'd like. There's a moment that when I was in Israel for a study tour, there was 60 uni student level kind of young people. When you're in 60 uni student level people on a couple of tour buses for two weeks straight, that can get a little bit something, something. Uh, a little bit difficult to live in close contact with people for that long. And I can remember towards the end of the trip, I was starting to feel a little bit just like, why did I say that? Why? I was quite uh, sh shaken up a little bit about my own sin. I'm in this wonderful place. I get to stand on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and look at the points where Jesus has launched off on boats and stuff. I'm like, this is a cool spot. I love it here. But in the back of my mind, my interactions with people, and for whatever reason, the Lord was just sifting me, showing me my sin and my brokenness during that time. And boy, was it weird for me. It was a tumultuous time. We got to the point where we're in this place they call the garden tomb where they reckon Jesus died and he was buried and there's a tomb there. And they set up all these pews and they give you these little olive glasses and a little piece of bread and they ran communion. And I can remember them saying something along the lines of, you need to understand that nobody can earn Jesus' blood. That when he died on the cross, he died for the forgiveness of sins that you couldn't earn at all ever by the way you acted so no matter where you're up to in your sinfulness and your observation of sinfulness, you need to know this. You needed a rescuer and Jesus rescued you. And they said, I want you to take the blood, which is a symbol of his rescue for you, the way he died on the cross, and I want you to drink it. So let's do that.
haven't finished the passage yet. There's one more bit. Let's have a look at what it says. Verse 29. But I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit from this vine. Uh, I will not drink from the fruit of the, the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So after they've eaten the bread and they've drunk the cup, Jesus has something else to let them know. And it's this. I'm going to be drinking it again. It's almost like there's another iteration of this meal. <laughs> there was Passover, there was the Lord's Supper, and it's like in God's kingdom fully and finally, there's going to be another meal. And it's going to be one where all of the promises that are hanging out there for us living in this life, looking towards death, seeing that it might come to us and wondering about eternal life and these kinds of things, all of that's going to have its yes and amen worked out and we will be with Jesus in his kingdom and there will be a meal, a new drinking. I don't know what it'll be like. Jesus is pretty cryptic in what he says there. But we do know this, that Jesus foreshadows another drinking from another cup. I love that. There's a continuation of all that God is doing in the world, a big plan that has been working out since the beginning of time that we get swept up in. And in the Lord's Supper, at this particular iteration of it, where we're at, we're called to remember the cross again and again and again, to remember Jesus and his sacrifice and to remember it in the context of our need for it. Oh, we need it. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being God the, the wonderful, merciful, mighty God that rescued people out of Israel. But Lord, I understand and we understand and we read in your word this morning that you sent Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, to walk the earth, to be born as a baby and to grow up and to start teaching about this kingdom. But Lord, we understand more and more as you read the gospels that he's the Messiah, this chosen one who was to die, to be the Passover lamb of the world. Father, I pray that as we, as we get to bake in this for the rest of our lives, Lord, if we keep in the community of God and we keep coming to this meal, I pray that we might love the fact we get to remember it again and again. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just write us a list in a book. I thank you that you made it a meal so that together we can share in it, together we can see it, together we can taste it, we can live it. Lord, make us rememberers of you, I pray. Father, as we go out from here, I pray that this recognition of who Jesus is, that he's our Lord and he's our Savior and he's our rescuer might be one that we don't keep to ourselves, but you might give us opportunities to share it out with others. That this communion meal might be one that grows all across the earth as many, many, many more people come to remember you and what you've done for them on the cross. May this meal be an expanding meal, continuing to go on and on and on. And we thank you so much that in the end, there's a a full iteration of it that's going to be happening in your kingdom where we get to eat with you. Sin dealt with death, dealt with all done. Promises stamped, sealed, delivered. Oh Lord, we look forward to that moment. We thank you that Marg is there. Oh, what a joy for her. We continue to pray for a family on earth here that are grieving, but also celebrating that their loved one is with you. Father, it's a joy to be in your word this morning. Thank you to help us, help us to continue to live it out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.